Amen. Amen. Well, that's a high note. I want to start on a low note. Can I do that? I want to begin by reading to you something written by a historical figure. I'll tell you who in a moment. Um, Somebody you have heard of who describes a difficulty in his life. He said this, I feel like the Lord's hand is pressed against me all day long. Uh, My strength is gone. My bones are crushed. Anguish and distress surround me. Like someone in heavy chains, I don't know how to escape this place of despair. It seems God is no longer listening to me. I have dread and fear for the future. I feel worthless and helpless and guilty. No one understands me. No one understands my pain. Everything irritates me. I have lost my peace. I have forgotten what joy and happiness feel like. I am filled with disappointment. My dreams have fizzled. I don't know where to turn. I have no hope. That, my friend, is depression. And those are the words of the prophet Jeremiah. In the first dozen or so verses of Lamentations chapter 3, Uh, Jeremiah describes his mood, his despair, his discouragement. He says that he was depressed. And if you've ever been depressed, uh, those words sound familiar to you. I I suppose everybody here has either gone through a time of darkness, a time of depression, or you have watched someone you care about go through the valley of depression. Depression is serious and it's rampant. Uh, If you look at the statistics, and it's hard to nail down precisely uh, how many people are depressed because some statistics vary wildly, uh, but at almost any measure, it's it's stunning the number of people who deal uh, on a a daily basis with depression. Some of the more objective statistics say this, from the National Center for Health Statistics, a government agency. Uh, They say that in the United States, 13% of every person 12 and older, every person in America, 13% take antidepressant medications in any given month. That's a lot of people. Uh, That number is up 20% since 2008, 65% since 2000. And then if you combine that with another statistic from the same government organization, Uh, you you see how serious this is. That other statistic says that 65% of those who suffer uh, from serious symptoms of depression uh, never seek medical care. And so if you do a little math and you add those numbers together, uh, you come up with the figure of 30%. 30% of the people in America in any given month are suffering so badly from depression that Uh, that the medical profession would suggest that they require medication. Uh, Depression is widespread and it is severe. Uh, Another way to measure uh, depression, another more objective way perhaps to measure uh, depression in the United States is to look at suicide rates. Uh, Now, not all suicide is the result of depression. Not all depression leads to suicide, of course. But if you look at suicide rates, particularly among the middle-aged, 
when younger people commit suicide, it more often is connected with a crisis in life. And when older people commit suicide, it is more often connected with um, quality of life events. Uh, but if you take a middle-aged person uh, and you look at suicide rates, those suicides are, are, are more correlated with depression. Uh, according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, from 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among people in their 50s has gone up 49%. Can you imagine? And so it's not just that there's more awareness of depression and more people being treated for depression. No, the severity and the symptoms and the consequences of depression uh, are on the rise. It's a steep rise. Depression is a major problem. Depression is a terrible enemy. It is a thief that robs us of joy. It is a murderer that robs us of life. It is a, a liar that tells us that there is no hope. But I want to tell you this morning that there is hope in the Lord. Uh, if you go back to Jeremiah, uh, and you can turn there if you'd like, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Lamentations chapter 3. The author is Jeremiah. It's page 760 if you're using one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you. But if you look at this uh, description of his own depression, in Lamentations chapter 3, you come to verse 21, and this is interesting. We're going to look at this whole passage in a moment, but just listen to this. He says, I call this to mind. He doesn't say what the this is at this point. He'll tell us later. But he says, I call something to mind, and therefore I have hope. Jeremiah says, I have discovered something, and it has given me hope in the midst of my despair, in the midst of my discouragement and depression. I have found something that gives me hope. There is hope if you're facing depression. And so over the next six weeks, I want to show you that there's hope. And I want us to open our Bibles and discover some of the strategies, some of the very practical things that we can do, biblical things that we can do uh, to overcome depression. I can't wait uh, to show you all that God has to say. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of that, though, I, I want to give you just some facts about depression that I think will serve us well over the next six weeks. They're just some foundational things that we need to agree upon, that we need to know about so that we can talk about all of these spiritual realities connected to depression. So let me give you three facts. Number one, depression is a complex problem. Uh, depression is a complex problem, me meaning that it is it, it has many factors that are involved. And I don't believe that, uh, that spiritual factors are always the most important factor when it comes to depression. There can be many things that can lead a person to depression. And when we approach this problem, we need to recognize that it is a complex problem. There are medical illnesses that can lead to depression. I think about Parkinson's disease or some sort of issue with your thyroid or a hundred other things that I don't know about. This can be a complex problem. But I do believe, listen, and the Bible teaches that our spiritual health is always at least a factor, 
while it may not always be the primary factor, it is always at least a factor and is very often the most important factor uh, when it comes to depression. It's a complex issue, but what the Bible has to say will speak volumes into every person's life who suffers from depression, regardless of the complexity of, uh, of their particular uh, depression. So how do I counsel a person that comes to me and says, Pastor, I'm struggling with depression? Well, let me just give that to you in a nutshell. And really, that's what we're going to talk about over the next six weeks. But, but let me just give it to you in a nutshell. When somebody says, Pastor, I'm struggling with depression, uh, what, what do I say? I say, first, you need to start with the Bible. If you're going to find real joy, you've got to start with the Bible, and you've got to finish with the Bible. The Bible is the answer for the source of joy from A to Z. You've got to start there, and you've got to finish there. But if in between you continue to have symptoms of depression, symptoms that persist, then you ought to go see a doctor. You ought to go see a doctor. Why is that? Because depression is a complex issue. I'll explain it this way. If I were to, if I were to fall down this morning, I mean, just really take a tumble, just dive out into the, in, 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 into the sanctuary, and, and, and I were to mess up my knee, I mean, br break a bone or, or, or rip some tendons and, and cause all kinds of problems. I mean, I really tear up my knee this morning. Then I would require two different kinds of medical treatment, two kinds. And, and I would need both of them. One kind of medical treatment would be that I need somebody to restore my knee to health. I need somebody to set the bone. I need somebody to reconstruct my knee. I need somebody to do something that would help my knee eventually become healthy again. So I can walk and jump and preach and dance or whatever I want to do. I need health restored. But that's not the only kind of medical treatment I need. I also need some pain medicine, right? Any of you ever messed up your knee? I need something to, to numb the pain until I can get full health restored to my knee. And, and if a doctor only did one of those two things, it would be an incomplete treatment. You wouldn't want a doctor just to reconstruct your knee and never give you any pain medicine. That would be a terrible experience. But at the same time, on the same hand, you don't want to just try to treat your knee with a bottle of Tylenol. That will never bring health to your knee. You need both kinds of treatment. And when it comes to depression, oftentimes both kinds of things may be involved when we get on our road to full spiritual health and joy. And so to begin with, I want to say about depression that it can be a complex problem. The second thing I want to say about depression is that it can strike anyone. Don't think that you are immune to depression. If you look through the pages of scripture, you can see that that just isn't true. Did you know that Moses, uh, the greatest leader in the Bible, one of the greatest spiritual men in the Bible, one of the greatest prayers in the Bible, Moses suffered terribly from depression. If you look to the, to the leading prophet in the Bible, Elijah, Elijah suffered from depression. Jonah suffered from depression. Uh, Jeremiah, as we've already seen, Jeremiah, prophet of God, suffered from depression. You could make the argument that, that King David suffered from depression. As you look through the Bible, you see that anyone 
is susceptible to, to bouts of depression. And then if we were to look in more modern times, uh, you, you, you can see the evidences continue. If, if we were to look, for instance, at um, uh, Martin Luther, uh, 500 years ago, the theologian and the preacher and the reformer, Martin Luther suffered so much from depression that it said that people wondered week after week if he would ever get in the pulpit again. And then Charles Spurgeon, who uh, most believe is the greatest English-speaking preacher in history, uh, suffered greatly from depression, wrote much about his depression. He lived at times in utter despair. His depression was what we would probably call today a clinical depression. It was not a situational thing. It was uh, just a terrible darkness that, that followed him for years. Charles Spurgeon suffered from depression. Anyone, anyone can suffer. Three weeks ago, and I lost his name here, three weeks ago, Andrew Stoeckling, uh, pastor in just outside of Los Angeles, California, a uh, successful pastor, growing church. Uh, Andrew Stoeckling preached two messages, uh, two, a two-message series on depression. And after his second message, he took his own life. Uh, he uh, had young children, a young wife. Uh, I have... Uh, it, it's been moving. It, it's been disturbing uh, to, to read. I went back and listened to his last two sermons. I, I don't know why, I just was drawn to it. And, and in the two messages he preached on depression, you could just hear his desperation. You, you wouldn't have known it at the time, of course, but looking back, you can just hear the desperation and the aspiration. He so desperately wanted to believe that he, that he would overcome this to, his wife wrote him a letter after he died. Uh, it, it, it just rip, rip your heart out. Anybody can suffer from depression. And I'll tell you something I've never told anybody. I've never even told my wife, although she knows because she's just smarter than I am. Uh, about four and a half years ago, uh, it was 2014, from January to April, uh, I suffered from depression. I struggled with depression. It was a functional depression. I still went to work every day. I took care of my family. Most people around me didn't know, but I lived in a darkness. Um, it was the hardest four months of my life. Uh, that's hard for me to say. Why, why do you think? Until yesterday, I don't think I'd ever even admitted it to myself. It's hard for, hard for me to say that I, I struggled with depression for four months, almost four months. Uh, I, I think it's hard to say because it, it, I mean, we probably have this in common. I, I just want to think of myself as uh, invincible. You know, I am strong. I can handle anything. Bring it on. You know, let's, let's go. And uh, we think of ourselves that way and, and, and we aspire to be that. Um, I think it's also difficult because uh, about a year and a half before I struggled for four months with, uh, nearly four months with depression, I I, I authored a book. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to read you the title now. Uh, Illuminating the Darkness, a Fresh and Effective Solution to Depression, Stress, and Anxiety. You ever heard more arrogance in a, in a book title than that? And um, I was speaking at churches. I was counseling with people about how to overcome depression. And, and there I found myself for four months in just a time of darkness. But I believe the Lord has shown me as I've prepared this message, um, this truth. 
if Moses can suffer, if Elijah, if Jeremiah, if Charles Spurgeon can suffer from depression, then I can suffer and you can suffer. And there's no shame as long as our depression leads us to chase after God and not abandon him. And so the second thing I want you to know is that depression can strike anywhere. The third thing is this, depression is a secondary issue. And uh, we're gonna talk more about this next week, but it's so important, I, 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 need, to, I need to say it this week and, and we'll say it nearly every week. Depression is a secondary issue. Now depression is a form of emotional and spiritual pain, right? Depression is pain, it's not physical pain, uh, necessarily, but it's emotional pain and spiritual pain. And, and like most other kinds of pain, it is secondary. When you have pain, your biggest problem is likely not your pain. Your pain may seem like your biggest problem, but it's not. Your biggest problem is what is causing the pain. It's not the pain, it is the, it is the cause, it is the source of the pain. If, if you have a terrible toothache, you ever had a toothache? If you have a terrible toothache, you think your problem is that your, that your tooth hurts, but that's not your problem. And you don't need to treat your toothache with a bottle of Tylenol every day. No, that might be helpful, but you've got a problem in your tooth. And your tooth is going to continue to hurt until you go to a dentist and get some, some medical care for your tooth. The pain is not the problem. The pain is secondary to the primary thing, which is the problem. If you're driving down the road and your car is screeching and making all kind of noise, the problem is not the noise. You're embarrassed that it's making noise. You're aggravated and frustrated that it's making noise. But the noise isn't the problem. You don't need to try to dampen the noise or turn up the stereo so that you don't hear the noise. The noise is not the problem. The noise is an indicator that there is another problem, right? That there is a primary problem. You need to go to the mechanic and figure out what, what is causing the noise? And when we suffer from depression, we should know that depression is not the primary problem. It is secondary. The depression indicates that there is a greater problem that needs to be uh, addressed. Oftentimes people just want to numb the pain or they just want to dampen the screeching engine. Uh, but that's not what we're going to try to do in this series. Uh, that's not what you really want. I want us to search the word and find the source of real joy. Depression dispelling joy that only comes from the Lord. And so let's do that this morning in Lamentations chapter 3. I hope you'll look with me there. Uh, page 760, I think, if you're using 730, uh, maybe, if you're using one of the Bibles in the rack in front of you. And we've looked at, just briefly, the first 18 verses of this chapter. When I gave you the paraphrase at the beginning of the sermon, I want to pick up now in verse 19. Verse 19, Jeremiah says, Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. Now, in the previous 18 verses, he's described his pain, his despair. Uh, but here he gets a little more specific. He says, Remember my affliction, that's speaking of his hardships. My homelessness, uh, your Bible might say restlessness. He, he, he didn't have any peace. 
He, when he laid his head on his pillow at night, he had no peace. There, there were all these thoughts going on in his mind. He was, he was restless. The wormwood, wormwood was a, a plant that was very bitter to eat. And so he's talking about his bitterness and his sorrow and the poison, the poison that killed the joy that he once knew. And so he's remembering just how hard his life is. He's remembering his depression. And he tells us that in the next verse, verse 20. He says, I continually remember them and have become depressed. It's filled with depression. But look at verse 21. Yet I call this to mind. He doesn't say what the this is yet. He'll, he'll tell us in the next verse. But he says, I call something to mind. And therefore, because of that, I have hope. He says, I call this to mind. I call this, this, whatever it is, I call it to mind. I think about this. I focus on this and it gives me hope. What is it that gives him hope? Well, he tells us in the next six verses. And I want us to walk through here and see three things he points to uh, that give us hope. Now, in the next five weeks, I should say, in the next five weeks, we're going to talk about practical strategies. We're, we're going to be in John 15 next week, if the Lord allows, and we're just going to work from there through uh, several instructions in the Bible that are going to give us very practical things to do. Here's your task list uh, that's going to, that, that'll bring joy in your life, that'll, that'll chase away the depression and bring joy. Today, uh, this is really an introduction to what we're going to do. Today, I just want you to see what Jeremiah saw. Today, I just want you to, to, to recognize what he recognized. There is hope. There is hope. I, I, think, I think sometimes before we get into the weeds of what to do, we just have to be convinced that there's hope. So let's see three aspects of this hope, the basis of the hope that Jeremiah discovers. Number one, God's love and acceptance are as strong as ever. God's love and acceptance are as strong as, as ever. Now, let's continue to read verses 22 and 23. Tell us this. It says, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So, in those two verses, he tells us that God's love and acceptance are as strong as they have ever been. But, but let me show you how that works. Let's, let's look at the specifics of this. He tells us in verse 22 not to despair because even if it doesn't seem like God is in control, he is in control. And he will not let go of you. Look at verse 22 again. He says, because the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. He's going through a terrible time. The enemy has come in and has robbed him of, of everything he's, he's ever owned. The, the whole nation is in disarray. Everything is falling apart. But he stops and he says, but I'm still alive. God is still with me. I don't understand it. I don't see how God's going to work this out. I don't see how joy is going to be restored to my life. But I know this. I am still alive and God is still with me. I remember a bunch of years ago when I took my oldest daughter to the beach, uh, she had been before, but this was the first time that I think she really recognized the beach. I mean, she really began to understand. She was about three years old 
and um, we, we begin to walk out into the waves, and she's scared to death. It was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and the waves are not tall, but, but for a three-year-old, the waves were gigantic. And so she wanted me to pick her up, and so I hold her, and we begin to walk into the waves, and she just doesn't understand. This fear overcomes her. I mean, all of these waves, and she doesn't understand what's driving them, but it just seems like people are splashing us. Somehow, we're just being splashed with water, and the waves are getting taller, and they're making noise, and they're foaming, and they're pushing us and pulling us, and I love to go out sort of, sort of deep, and so we, we just kept walking out, and the waves kept kept splashing over us and she didn't understand, but you know what she did? You know what she did, right? I, I will never forget this. She wrapped her little three-year-old bony arms around my neck and she squeezed as hard as she could. Now she didn't have the answers to the questions. She didn't understand what was causing the waves. She didn't understand why we were getting deeper and not running the other direction. She didn't understand why they were pushing her, why she was being splashed. She didn't understand anything, but she knew this. She needed to hold on to her daddy's neck. And so Jeremiah says here that, that you know, things are falling apart around me, but I know this. Even though it may not seem like it, God is in control. Now, another part of this, God's love and acceptance is as strong as ever, is this. You can't exhaust God's love. Now, let's just continue to look. So he says in verse 22, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. It says every day God renews his mercies. God is not tired of you. Isn't that an encouragement? Sometimes I think God just must be worn out by me. He must be so frustrated with all of my belly aching and all of my sin and all of my confession and all my frustration and all my lack of trust. When is God just going to say enough is enough? When is God just going to push me away? And, and Jeremiah must have felt the same way. And so here God reminded him that God's mercies are new every morning. God is not about to give up on you. Did you know that every day you start with a clean slate with the Lord? When, when, when you cry out to God, when you're tired and you're fatigued and you're, and you're frustrated and you cry out for help, God hears you and you and afresh, his mercies never end. And then right at the end of that, uh, that passage, the end of verse 23, he says, great is your faithfulness. He, God is famous for his faithfulness. Did you know that? Well, what is God famous for? What, what does God want to be known for in, in your life, in our church, in our, in our city? What is, what is God famous for? He's famous for his faithfulness. And God wants to be famous. God will be famous in your life, in your life. From your perspective, God wants to be and will be famous for his faithfulness. Now you're going through perhaps a hard time. If you're suffering from depression, if not, just hang on to this, you'll be there. But if you're going through a tough time, you may not see how God's hand is moving. You may not see the protection of the Lord. You may not see the purposes of God. But if you'll hang on, listen, you'll look back at this time of your life and if you had to put a caption on these years, on these days, on this difficulty, you know what you will one day say about now? God was faithful. 
You may not see it now, but you'll see it then. You're going to discover God will be famous in your life for his faithfulness. Maybe you're struggling with some medical problem. Maybe you have cancer. Maybe you're about to lose your job. Maybe your marriage is just about on its last leg. Maybe, maybe you're taking care of aging parents and it's just almost too much. Whatever, whatever's going on and, and, and you think there's, I just don't know what's going to happen next. Be encouraged by this that one day you'll look back and you will say of this time, great is the faithfulness of the Lord. And so the first reason why Jeremiah had hope is because God's love and acceptance is as strong as ever. The second reason he had hope is this, you will find satisfaction in him. We will find satisfaction in God. Now, let's just continue to read verse 24. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. What does he mean, the Lord is my portion? In, in Old Testament times, my portion referred to my land. It, it, this, is, this is a land term, the assets that you have. And, and in those days, all of your assets would have been in land. Uh, there were no retirement accounts. There were no 401ks. There were, the, 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 there were no uh, businesses other than land. Land was it. And land was what was passed down from generation to generation. It determined your security. It determined your influence. It determined your future and your family's future. Everything was about your land. And so your land was called your portion. But Jeremiah, his, his portion was gone. His land had been taken by the Babylonians. He had no land. None of the Israelites had land. This was a, a terrible time. They had lost their portion. But he says this, I may have lost my land I may have lost my, my resources, but I've learned that I have something that is even more important. I have the Lord. What, what he said is my portion, the, the, the part, what I need, I have. I have the Lord. You see, there, there are two ways to measure your wealth. Did you know that? There are two ways. Uh, we, we, we have a lot of wealth managers in the church, investment advisors in the church. So listen, there, there, there are two ways to measure wealth. You can go to an investment advisor and they will help you measure it one way. And it's a, it's a beneficial way. They can help you measure how much stuff you have. They can look at your investments. They can look at your, your accounts. They can look at your property. They can look at, they can look at the stuff you have. And so you can measure your wealth by how much you have. Maybe you have $1,000. Maybe you have a $100 million. I don't know, but there's some measurement of how much you have, and that's a measurement of your wealth. But there is another me measurement of wealth that is even more important, and that is how much do you need? How much do you need? You see, you could have all the wealth in the world, the worldly wealth in the world, but, but if you don't have peace... You're not wealthy. You can have all the wealth in the world, but if, you're, if your marriage is in shambles, you're not wealthy. If you can have all the wealth in the world, but if, if when you lay your head on your pillow at night, you feel guilt and stress and anger and bitterness, then you're not wealthy. 
See, there is the measurement of what you have, but there is a more important measurement of what do you need. And there are some people that have great wealth by the world's measurement, but, but they, are, they are impoverished when it comes to what they really need, and, and vice versa. I mean, those two things are not necessarily correlated. And so what, what Jeremiah is saying here is that I may not have worldly wealth any longer, but he says, I am wealthy because I have the Lord. Well, what he's saying is, I've discovered through my hardship, I've discovered through my pain that what I really need is God, and God is enough. You know, we're all going to go through times of, of lack, whether we lack financial resources, or we lack healthy marriage, or we lack friends, or time, or success, or opportunity. And, and that can be times when depression creeps in because we're focused on what we lack. And, and Jeremiah, in the first 18 verses, he focuses on what he lacks. But when he gets down to verse 24, he says, but the one thing I do have, the Lord, that's enough. He, be, be encouraged by this. Whatever you lack, whatever you don't have enough of, or whatever you don't have what you think is enough of, that will not keep you from joy. If, if you lack joy in your life, it's not because you don't have enough success, money, opportunity. You, list, uh, you make a list of worldly things. If you lack joy, that joy can be found in the Lord. Jeremiah said, the Lord is my portion. And then the, the third thing, the final thing, God will reward your times of waiting. Uh, let's just continue to read. We'll see this. He says, let, verse 25, uh, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is still Young. He says we ought to wait on the Lord. You're going through a hard time. Well, hard times come. Hard times come. Jesus, was, uh, Jesus went through hard times. He was stressed out. Uh, Jesus was fatigued. He was frustrated. He, was, he, he experienced all the emotions we, we experience. We're going to have hard times. So what do we do? We need to wait. God will reward your times of waiting. We, 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 we need to decide we're not going to give up. Uh, you don't have to live in despair. Oftentimes people are depressed and they say, this will never change. I will never have joy again. I will never escape this. No, no, don't give up. Look what he says back in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait to the person who seeks him. So, so, so don't just stand back and wait, seek him. The Lord is good to those who wait and wait means seeking the Lord. No chase after the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give in. So some people will just decide to, to, to live with depression the rest of their lives because they, they see no way out. And to them, he says, don't give up. But, but some people will just decide that, that, that I just have to numb the pain for the rest of my life. There's, there's, there's no hope to ever escape this despair. But he says, don't give in. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will bless those who, who wait for him. Listen, there's, there's one thing that I want you to learn this morning. 
We're going to get to the practical steps over the next five weeks. Uh, five practical strategies, we're going to focus on that. But the one thing I want you to learn this morning is that there is hope. There is hope. You may not be able to see today what God is doing, but there is hope. You may not feel it. You may not know what to do next. You may not know how the Lord is going to restore joy, but he will. There is hope in the Lord. And today, I invite you to put your trust, place your trust in the Lord. If, if there's never been a time in your life when you, have, when you have recognized that because of sin, because of the sin that's in your life, you're separated from God, and your only hope is to surrender to him and trust, then it's got to begin there. You will never find joy in this world until you find joy in forgiveness, until you find joy in Jesus. It's got to start with surrendering to him. You will never overcome depression. You will never know this lasting joy, this, this, this powerful joy until first you surrender to Jesus. If you don't know Christ, start there. But for those of us who do, let us surrender for all time. Let us surrender. Now I want to show you one more verse, and, and it'll be very familiar to you because we've, we've heard the choir sing it this morning. But I want to show you one more verse, and I want us just to end with this as a, as a declaration of, of our confidence in the Lord. Uh, it's Psalm 3.3, and you can look, look on the screens with me. Psalm 3.3, for thou... O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Now, now look at that. We're going to leave it up there for a moment. I want you to look at that. He's, the psalmist says, Lord, you are a shield for me. Now, you only need a shield if what? If you're in a battle. You, you, you don't need a shield if you're not in a battle. You don't need a shield if you're not in a fight. And you know, a lot of us, we're in a fight, we're in a battle. This is hard. So he says, if you're in a battle, you can say, the Lord, you be the shield. When the world aims its darts at me, when life is hard, Lord, you be a shield to me. And my glory, you know what that means, my glory? See, glory is the best thing about somebody. It's the best thing about God. When we talk about we're, we're going we're gonna to talk, we're going to praise the glory of God. We're talking about we're going to exalt God, say God's the best thing that there is. But when we talk about a person's glory, this is talking about, about, about glory. A person's glory is the best thing about them. And you know what the best thing about you is? It is the Lord. It is your relationship with the Lord. It is your connection with the Lord. It's that he is your father and he will always be with you. He is my glory, and he is the lifter of my head. The Lord, there's hope in the Lord. When we're depressed, it is the Lord who can lift our head. It is the Lord who can give us hope. It is the Lord who can bring us joy. Now, let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. There are a lot of places we can turn when we face depression. And certainly, depression can be a com complex issue that requires attention in a lot of ways. But when it comes right down to it, our only hope is the Lord. When it comes right down to it, he is our shield. 
He is the best thing about us. And he is the one who will lift us. We're going to talk about the strategies in the next few weeks. But will you just declare with me as we stand in a moment and sing, Lord, you, oh Lord, you are the lifter of my head. You are the one where I will find joy. You are the one who will dispel the depression. I trust you. Father, let this be the beginning of a, of a different kind of life for many of us. Let, let this be the beginning of, of an embrace of joy that is contagious, that sweeps away our depression and our stress and our anxiety. Father, you be the lifter of our heads. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this, this song to the Lord.